Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Julius Baer's Moving Markets podcast. It's Wednesday, the 21st of February, and my name is Roman Canziani. Cyclical stocks, so those typically doing well when an economy is booming, have been underperforming as of late. Today, I'll be talking about this and more with our head of equity strategy, Mathieu Racheter. And we also have Dario Messi from Fixed Income Research on the show. He'll be talking about the latest inflation prints and uh, what they mean for our fixed income strategy. But first, let's get us filled in on the latest news moving the markets. For that, I'm sitting here with Lucia Chachulovic from Investment Writing. Good morning, Lucia. Good morning, Roman. So today is a big day as all eyes are on chipmaker NVIDIA's results, the last of the Magnificent Seven reporting its earnings. And although the company will only report after the market closed today and is expected to post impressive results, concerns about the company's high valuation have steadily increased over the past few days, uh, leading to a broader decline in the technology sector. Can you please tell us a little bit more about the latest figures from the equity markets? Sure. So as you rightly said, investors' concerns pushed shares of NVIDIA lower yesterday. They fell by more than 4% and this weighed on the Nasdaq and the S&P 500 index as overall sentiment soured and more and more investors believe that the broader tech sector is now overvalued. The Nasdaq Composite lost around 0.9% and the S&P 500 slipped 0.6%. The Dow Jones Industrial Average dipped around 0.2%. Now, taking a step back, so far this year, the tech sector is up around 6%, which makes it the third best sector in the broader market, trailing only communication services and healthcare. And just as a reminder for NVIDIA, the company has had an impressive start to the new year. Its shares are up 40% year to date. And I know there's a lot more company-specific news driving the market, such as uh, Amazon joining the Dow Jones Industrial Average Index next week. What other interesting news is out there? So first of all, financial stocks were in focus yesterday following the blockbuster announcement that Capital One Financial had agreed to buy Discover Financial Services in an all-stock deal worth $35.3 billion US dollar. And this could create a new major credit card company in the US. And then in separate deal news, Walmart announced that it would acquire TV maker Vizio for 2.3 billion US dollar, and this sent shares of Vizio up more than 15%. Walmart itself was also higher yesterday, up around 3%, also following the retailer's quarterly results, which showed a double-digit growth in the company's global e-commerce sales. Medtronic climbed as well. The medical device maker reported increased sales. But meanwhile, Home Depot declined after reporting a fifth consecutive drop in quarterly revenues. And Palo Alto Networks also fell nearly 20% after the cybersecurity company's full-year guidance missed expectations. Now, looking ahead uh, to today, we will receive January's FOMC meeting minutes uh, and investors hope for some new clues on the U.S. Federal Reserve's outlook, right? Yes, that's right. So traders are hoping for some clues as to where policymakers stand on the timeline for a rate cut. I know we've mentioned this in previous episodes of this podcast, but last week's faster-than-expected inflation figures have really fueled concerns that the Fed may not start cutting rates as soon and as much as previously expected. In fact, the latest 
debate now is whether the next move will be a cut at all or perhaps even a rate hike. Anyhow, I guess only time will tell. For the time being, moves in treasuries have been somewhat muted this week, with the two-year yield currently around 4.59% and the 10-year yield around 4.27%. So uh, we haven't talked about Asia just yet, where China ramped up its support for the troubled property sector with its uh, biggest ever cut to a key mortgage reference rate. Has this uh, move helped improve sentiment over there? Actually, yes, it has. The latest actions to boost sentiment have seemingly been successful. And there are now increased expectations that more aggressive measures may be coming. The CSI 300 index is up around 1.7%, while the Hang Seng index is up by around 2%. And meanwhile, in Japan, stocks are down today as Japanese manufacturers' business confidence fell to minus one in February. And this figure compares to the previous month's reading of six, and it is the first negative reading since last April. And we've also received Japan's trade data today, which showed that Japan's exports rose by nearly 12% year-on-year in January, while the country's imports fell 9.6%. And finally, in other news out of Asia-Pacific, Australia's annual pay growth rose to 4.2%, which is the fastest annual pace in 15 years. The S&P ASX 200, however, is down around 0.6% today. All right. Now let's take a quick look at commodities and the world of crypto. Can you please uh, tell us where they stand this morning? So oil prices regained some ground in early trading today as investors weighed concerns over output cuts by key producers and the attacks on shipping in the Red Sea. As for gold, prices are also slightly up this morning and are still trading well above the 2000 US dollar mark. Now in crypto, both Bitcoin and Ether fell earlier today. All right. And uh, now finally, what's on the agenda for today? So as mentioned previously, the FOMC meeting minutes will be the main focus tonight. Otherwise, we will get the Eurozone consumer confidence data, which might provide some interesting insights. And lastly, futures in Europe are trading mostly in the green, while those in the US are still in the red. Right. Uh, thank you very much, Lucia. Thanks for having me. And now over to you, Dario. Good morning. Good morning, Roman. Now, I know you spoke recently on our Beyond Markets podcast about emerging market hard currency bonds, uh, uh, because I, I know we like that segment at the moment, correct? Yes, that's right. Still the case. All right. And actually, this podcast was published just this morning, so I highly recommend that anyone interested gives it a listen. It's available in English on the Beyond Markets channel, where Dario, uh, you're joined by Esteban Polidura, and you speak to Helen Freer. And there's also a German version available on our Marktanalysen und Gespräche channel, with uh, Jan Bob asking the questions. And also, we host a client webcast on emerging market hard currency bonds tomorrow, Thursday, starting at 10 a.m., where you'll be speaking about our calls. So, back to the daily ups and downs in fixed income markets. Uh, last week, we got a bunch of inflation prints. Uh, could you quickly summarize for our listeners again if any of this has changed the view on what we can expect from central banks? Uh, yeah, sure. Let's do that. Um, let's start with the most important one, the US. Uh, we had a CPI print that did surprise and stayed above this psychologically important level of 3%. And well, as a consequence, uh, the market pushed out the timing for, for first rate cuts. Uh, in fact, it's now more aligned with our assumption also 
Uh, we have still the start of the cutting cycle in May, um, but uh, we also need to admit that uh, the risk to postpone it for the Fed to June certainly increased now. Um, totally on the other side then uh, was what we saw here in Switzerland. Inflation suppressed strongly uh, to the downside, uh, which means uh, lower than what was expected, um, not least due to the imported inflation. Um, here we saw again the role of the strong Swiss franc for the domestic economy. And all in all, this, this really opens now the door for rate cuts also in Switzerland. And our economists actually expect now the first uh, cut uh, already in March, followed by another 25 basis points uh, later in June. And well, then uh, we also had the UK, uh, a bit of a mixed bag of data there, uh, some relief from the inflation side at least. Um, but still, we think uh, the Bank of England uh, is still likely to be among the latest of the major central banks to start the cutting cycle and actually earliest in June in our view. Right. So having talked about inflation prints and also the uh, Fed's uh, policy path, I guess getting the duration positioning right is still what matters most for bond investors, right? Yes, indeed it is. It's also a tricky uh, one. Um, but ever since inflation is, is back and major central banks had to move, uh, the duration question is top of mind. And um, yeah, I mean, now the yield curve is, is not kept artificially low anymore. Um, and duration management can also give more value now, uh, can add some value, uh, some opportunities there, but definitely also some risks. And for, for, for quite some time, you've been favoring long duration. Has that really changed now? Well, look, it was a good time to build back duration. Uh, most portfolios were... Uh, also rightly so, short duration during the low rates environment. And um, yeah, this duration was slowly built back during last year, uh, which means at this point, a typical portfolio is not anymore lagging on, on that front. And we had a nice year-end rally uh, for bonds last year. And now, I mean, we don't expect to, to go back to the October highs, but uh, there are certainly risks for, for spikes in yields. If you think about the strong growth in the US, the issuance activity, also the, the uncertainty on, on the fiscal front. So overall, there is these risks. Don't get me wrong. Uh, we don't want to sell longer maturities, uh, but probably not adding just duration blindly anymore at this point. So for us, this brings us to the conclusion that uh, a balanced approach is the most promising one now. Um, at the short end, uh, this one gives you a nice pickup in yield. We still have an inverted yield curve, uh, especially if you also mix it with some uh, credit risk there. Um, at the same time, this exposure at the shorter end also protects you against uh, spikes in yields and gives you really good cash returns. And then at the long end, I said it before, we wouldn't sell um, these bonds. So you still have there uh, with good, safe, quality bonds, a decent real yield. And also, this really limits the, the reinvestment risk that we talked a lot about already in this forum and also adds some hedging feature. So overall, we really think uh, this kind of uh, yield curve that we have at the moment gives you a really good opportunity to have quite a broad exposure and a balanced approach. Thank you very much, uh, Dario, for sharing your thoughts here. Thank you for inviting me, Roman. Now, let's talk equities. Uh, good morning, Mathieu. Good morning, Roman. We named our market outlook for this year the start of a new cycle. There, we talk about our expectation of a new growth cycle starting when monetary policy becomes more accommodative again. 
probably sometime this year. Now, as we know, equity markets tend to anticipate such new cycles in advance. So one of the big questions is when to rotate back into the classic cyclical. So stocks of companies likely to benefit from a pickup of growth in anticipation of this new cycle starting. Is it already time now? Well, we are still very much in favor for quality growth companies over the long term. But tactically, as you said rightly, there will be likely an opportunity to switch into a cyclical place. The issue we face here is that given the large outperformance of cyclicals last year on the back of receding recession fears, they already discount quite the strong economic recovery. And that's the case both in the US as well as in Europe. Meanwhile, if you look at relative earnings revisions of cyclicals versus defensives, it has actually peaked already three months ago and have since rolled over. So the ratio of relative earnings upgrades to downgrades for cyclicals is now weaker compared with the more defensive sectors. And usually the relative price performance is following the relative earnings momentum with a short time lag. So in other words, we don't think that it's time now to build broad-based exposure to what cyclical sectors yet. We are of the view that cyclicals will likely underperform over the next two to three months and expect a better opportunity to rotate into cyclicals around mid-2024. So... It's, it's not the time for broad-based buying in cyclicals until those earnings revision divergences you, you mentioned will likely snap back over the coming month. But, but do you still see some selective opportunities in the space? Yes. So as we firmly expect this new cycle to start sometime this year, some exposure to the most attractive cyclical sectors is warranted. So we recommend the selective exposure focus more on the cyclical growth sectors, such as semiconductors, machinery, and, and equipment. And also, our next generation team has upgraded automation and robotics to constructive recently. And this topic actually contains a lot of these so-called growth cyclical companies. The sole cyclical value segment we continue to see upside is the automotive industry. Right. Uh, thank you very much, Mathieu, for sharing your insights with us. Thanks for having me, Roman. So that's all for today. Thank you again uh, to our speakers this morning and thank you all for tuning in. Do join us tomorrow Thursday again when my colleague Helen Freer is back with more colleagues to talk about what's moving markets. Have a great day, everyone, and bye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information. Beyond Markets is a weekly podcast where Julius Bear experts and external speakers discuss some of the latest market developments. They share their key research and insights on today's ever-changing economic landscape and present practical advice. Search for Beyond Markets on your favourite podcast player.